Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, live from our wonderful new podcast room here at the, the Baseball America World Headquarters. I'm John Manuel. He's Matt Eddy. Matt, welcome back. And uh, we're, we're apparently your podcast playoff prognosticators, uh, as we did the first round. And I don't know which one of us got more right. I know I did pick the Cubs, but I, I don't believe – I think we I, mean, I think we both picked the Phillies, or did we not? I did poorly. I, I picked um, – I think I picked all the losers. Good grief. Well, the Angels were a good pick. I thought the Angels were a good pick. I thought that uh, uh, the first round was less competitive and less apparently uh, less competitive and also apparently less compelling uh, than I think we'd hoped. TV ratings weren't very good. I do think we have two excellent championship series. They're both best of seven series. You only have two instead of four to try to focus on. Uh, I think these are going to be more compelling series, and I, I hope for the industry and for the sport that the ratings go up as well because uh, that seems to matter. But uh, we'll start off talking in the National League. Uh, it's a historic uh, matchup, a matchup with some precedent, and they have had three previous Dodger-Phillies matchups. Uh, obviously, uh, Jamie Moyer would have been the only player who could have possibly played <laughs> in any of those, and even he didn't play. Even he hasn't been around that long. Uh, 25 years ago, 1983, the last time these two teams matched up in the National League Championship Series. But Phillies-Dodgers, for someone of my age, that does seem like, Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, that that's happened before, and I'm not surprised it's happening again. And Matt, the Dodgers certainly seem to be kind of the flavor du jour, just because of the way they dismantled the Cubs. But I think mean, there are other things: Manny Ramirez factor, the Joe Torre factor. Uh, why do you think they were just so dominant against the Cubs? Was it all the Cubs, or do you think that the Dodgers had as much, if not more, to do with it? Well, I think uh, the whole series kind of hinged on, on game, the game one at bat by James Loney, where Dempster got him to 0-2, right. and then Loney barely fouled a pitch off, and he hit a grand slam on the next pitch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, from that point on, the Cubs were never in it. It was no. just... They weren't but in I, it. But I think uh, d- uh, deeper than that, it was just the, the, the pitching. They never gave the Cubs a chance. They just had all these right-handed arms to throw at the Cubs' right-handed uh, army of batters, you know, and then... Uh, just, that was that was it. it. Just, that, that's it. That was it. The Cubs <laughs> never the Cubs never made an adjustment in the entire series. Uh, whether it was any any of their hitters, any of their pitchers, uh, they never made any adjustments. And the Dodgers certainly uh, have some youth, but now they have these these twin guys with all this playoff experience. It's three or four players. Uh, we were talking about Jeff Kent, who didn't really play much in the, that series. But you got you got Manny. You have Joe Torre as a manager with all that experience. Uh, you have Derek Lowe. Hmm. Um, and those guys, uh, Derek Lowe was outstanding in game one. Ryan Dempster is a veteran who has been in the playoffs before, I believe, but not in that role of being the guy. And Derek Lowe was very cool and calm under pressure, and uh, Ryan Dempster was shaky. And then uh, Chad Billingsley was pitching with 
they're playing with house money, and Chad Billingsley's just really, really good. And he, is. Uh, he was outstanding in game two, and then the Dodgers able to bring it home. Uh, impressive that the Dodgers able to get some playoff victories without Jose Lima on the mound. Uh, first time since 1988 <laughs> uh, that they've been able to do that uh, when it was not Lima time. But the Dodgers, and you, well, you mentioned it, the Phillies present a different challenge for Dodger pitching because clearly they have more prominent left-handed bats. You're not talking about Kosuke Fukudome and Jim Edmonds. You're talking about Ryan Howard. You're talking about Chase Utley. Uh, do you think the Phillies are a, a tougher matchup for the Dodgers, even though they're not as good as the Cubs really were during the course of the regular season? No doubt about it. The right-handers' changeups are in play now. I wonder. I would love to see the number of changeups thrown by Dodgers pitchers in that series. Yeah, I mean, you're just, take, you're just taking that pitch. It's just I don't know. Now you're taking that pitch. Yeah, you're right. You, that, that pitch was not in, really had to be. Didn't have to be in play for the Dodgers. They really could pitch off power and Derek Lowe's strictly off his two seamer to sinker. Yep. And they're going to have to come up with, I think, a little bit more of a wrinkle uh, against, especially a guy like Chase Utley. The other thing about the Phillies, you talk about the left-handed bats: Matt Stairs, Jeff Jenkins, Greg Dobbs, pinch hitter deluxe. Yep. Charlie Manuel has options on his bench uh, no to doubt. go to. Uh, for pinch hitters, uh, whether it's for the pitcher or or elsewhere, and then you have Victorino, switch hitter, uh, obviously in the lineup as well. Uh, just matching them up, offense for offense. Uh, I know the Phillies were very inconsistent this year. There were some stretches where they really did not score runs in bunches, and part of that I think had to do with with Chase Utley's slump after that huge start he got off to. He he did have a long stretch of the season where he just wasn't as good. But I, I think the Phillies are the better offensive club here. Do you think that's true despite the presence of Manny Ramirez with the Dodgers? I do think it's true, especially when you can um, you can pitch to Ethier and Loney with left-handed relievers, and that and that's another strength of the Phillies, left-handed bats and left-handed pitching. Good point. And the, and the Dodgers make a move to combat that on their roster for the championship series with Takashi Saito, who's been banged up, the former closer, uh, you know, did not pitch well against the Cubs either. Uh, when in his one appearance, and now he's off the roster and replaced by Hong Chi Kuo, uh, the power uh, Taiwanese left-hander. So it gives, I think, a, a smart move by Joe Torre, Ned Coletti, the, the brain trust there in Los Angeles, yep. to give them an extra lefty reliever and not put all of it on Joe Bimel. Yeah, because it sounds like Kershaw's going to be used in a starting role, right. and Maddox will be used in the long relief role. So that uh, seeing Kershaw in, in, the, in the NLCS against... Ryan Howard and Chase Utley. That's going to be one of the highlights of the series. Absolutely. Well, the Baseball America podcast, Matt Eddy and John Manuel here with you. And I guess another part of this uh, series that's so intriguing to us is just the, the prospects become big leaguers that both teams have. I mean, the Phillies, I don't think it's a coincidence that they've had their back-to-back playoff seasons. Was this for the first time ever in Phillies history or first time since 76, 77? First time since I think the 70s, yeah. Um, that they have back-to-back playoff seasons. I just don't think it's a coincidence that their ace is Cole Hamels. Their number two starter all year was basically Jamie Moyer, but right now it's Brett Myers. Mm-hmm. And those are two first-round picks for 99 and 2002 uh, for the Phillies. And then you've got Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, uh, real homegrown flavor, Pat Burrell, obviously, Pat Burrell. to their lineup as well. And then and the Dodgers, this is you know half Vagabonds, half their 2005 Jacksonville Suns team, it seems like, hmm. uh, with Billingsley, Broxton, Russ Martin, um, uh, James Loney, 
Uh, Han Chi Kuo was Matt on that Kemp. team. Matt Kemp was on that team toward the end of the year. We're just missing uh, Ching Lung Hu, Tanislaw Abreu, and Andy LaRoe. Since traded Andy LaRoe, and you've got our, <laughs> our 2005 minor league team of the year. So, uh, But I guess the perception, where I'm going with the question, Matt, is that the perception is the Dodgers are the more homegrown team. Mm. To me, the Phillies are just as homegrown. We didn't even mention uh, J.A. Happ. as a team that Homestar would love. Homestar Runner would love this team. They're very homegrown. <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to go there for that reference. But... I think the Phillies are a little undersold on that, don't you? I do. I think you are correct in your assessment. Um, well, Ryan Madsen. I didn't even think about you him. You know, they're. I, I guess he's in the kind of the eighth inning role now after right. flaming out as a starter and being good and being bad and right. being good. You know, I think he's picked the body he wants to go with at this point. <laughs> I think you're right. If only Kyle Kendrick will do this in the future. If he could follow the uh, the Ryan Madsen approach. He's picked the body, and he's sticking with it. He's a middle reliever with a great changeup, yes. uh, which is going to come and play again with those left-handed uh, Dodger bats. A very funky long arm action, too, I think, which helps him quite a bit. It, it is, he is funky. Um, and I guess the other, the other key here for, is not a homegrown player, but we mentioned it in our division series preview, the Brad Lidge factor. Oh, but yeah. Brad Lidge down the stretch was not as good the last week or so of the season. He was shaky in the first game of the series against the Brewers. Uh, if Brad Lidge is on his game, though, I think Philadelphia gets the advantage in the bullpen. I guess to me, you got the hitting is an advantage. Phillies starting pitching. I think clearly the Dodgers had the advantage on starting pitching. Bench, that's a, that's almost a push. The Dodgers carrying a lot of extra infielders who don't have a whole lot of offensive value. Jeff Kent's kind of like the wild card on their bench uh, for me. Uh, if he's in the lineup, I don't like their bench as much with Blake DeWitt. I don't, I don't see Jeff Blake DeWitt as a rookie being a guy who can come in cold off the bench and be as good as maybe a Jeff Kent who maybe would be able to prepare better, uh, come off the bench and be effective. I think I get the Phillies a little a little edge off the bench with, with those left-handed pinch hitters. Yeah, going out and getting Matt Stairs at the end of the year. A great example of that. And then bullpen. Who, who gets the bullpen edge for you? I mean, the Phillies have been better all year, but the Dodgers' bullpen uh, is pretty good. Corey Wade is a very undersold Yeah. Uh, prospect has been a very solid sinker ball reliever for them. Yep. Uh, I think I'd have to give Philly, Philadelphia a slight edge, but it, bullpen is certainly not a weakness for uh, for the Dodgers. Yeah, that's really a toss up. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Broxton is just as good as Lidge. He just hasn't proven it. Right. You know, he's closed out every game of the of the DS, You're and right. obviously he's got the stuff to do it. I guess I guess you read in in some cases that. Uh, he can't stop the bleeding in some cases. When he he's, does have a bad inning, it snowballs on him. Great, that's a great point. He's a guy that you like to bring in to start an inning, not necessarily into the breach in the middle of an inning with guys on base. You know, and what if what if a newly healthy Rafael Farcall makes an error? You know, right. what if Matt Kemp misplays the ball in center field? You know, is this How? gonna is this gonna crush Broxton's ability to get the next batter out? Absolutely, just to be able to concentrate and, and refocus. And Brad Lidge. He's never. He's probably never going to go through a lower low than that bomb hit by Albert yeah. Pujols off him, and he's shown that he can come back from that. Might, maybe it took him a year, but he's shown he can come back from that. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm picking the Phillies. They were my pick in the National League to start the postseason. Uh, I'm the biggest obstacle in their path. Uh, it's easy to say is Manny Ramirez. Uh, he's an incredible postseason hitter. Uh, when he gets locked in, he cannot be gotten out. I think Charlie Manuel hinted at what their strategy is going to be when he said, joked that you can't walk him 28 times. They're going to walk him every time it matters. They're going to make the Lonies and the Ethiers and those other guys beat him. And if those guys beat him and they beat all their left-handed relievers, if they beat uh, J.C. Romero, if they beat J.A. Happ out of the bullpen or Scott Ayer, 
the, the Phillies are going to tip their cap and play for next year. But I, I think the Phillies will be good enough to beat the Dodgers if they don't let Manny beat them. So you can take it to the bank that the uh, Phillies will win because I'm picking the Dodgers here. <laughs> That's right. I like. <laughs> I just think the team uh, is a little, a little more complete. They are, I think they are a little more balanced, and I do think the Dodgers. Uh, bottom line, the Dodgers have better starting pitching. You know, is Manny going to be disciplined to lay off everything out of the zone? They're going to throw him. Probably, yes, he will. He'll probably yeah. just take the walk. You're right. And if they're young hitters, I would bank on hitting those left-handers. Uh, Ethier and Loney are two pretty good guys I think I would bank on. But True. I think that's going to be a great series. I, if it goes fewer than six games, I'll be surprised. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. I'm joined by Matt Eddy. Let's move on to the American League, Matt, where uh, you have uh, two franchises that couldn't be more different in, in a lot of ways. The Red Sox are clearly the, the bully of this decade. Uh, they're the only team that's won two World Series championships this decade. Uh, they're the most successful franchise in this decade. And, um, you know, they, they're the defending World Series champions with a giant payroll, and meanwhile, they're the Rays, and they're second from the bottom in the World Series. I mean, in, uh, second from the bottom in, in obviously, in, uh, not in World Series, second from the bottom in payroll, and yet they won the American League East fair and square. They beat Boston 10 out of 18 meetings home uh, head-to-head, and uh, the Rays have the all-important home field advantage, which they won by going to September, I mean, going to Fenway in September and winning two out of three from Boston. So, uh I got a feeling that the national media expects the Red Sox to be the favorite here, but I almost feel like this is as push of a series as you can get because uh, head-to-head they did play 18 times, and the Rays were slightly better, even when they weren't at full strength. Yeah, um, yeah, and they'll be presenting just their best 20 players, let's say. you know, Yeah. That's always the the thing. You know, another you mentioned how different these franchises are, but in one, one area that they're very similar is that each organization's top three players was homegrown. Yeah. When you look at the Red Sox, I mean, you can't argue. It's Euclid, Pedroia, and John Lester. Yeah, right now, absolutely. The three best players for this series. Absolutely. And then for the Rays, it's Shields, Longoria, and Upton. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And, I mean, this is – I think that's a great way to – It's a great way to, to enter into it because, I mean, B.J. Upton's a guy who had a struggling regular season but was dynamic against the White Sox. I mean, the, the, the Rays are a great example of a team that uh, – uh, Josh Boyd, uh, now works for the Rangers, used to work here, talked about uh, the scouts. They talked to said tool back when the whole scouting versus uh, sabermetrics quote unquote debate was going on. Uh, the scouts would tell them, yeah, tools win championships. Well, this team is loaded with toolsy <laughs> players, and BJ Upton, in my mind, is the toolsiest of the toolsy players. And uh, a guy whose power was significantly down this year, his slugging percentage was down more than 100 points, mm-hmm. and yet he unleashed that raw power against the White Sox. And when he gets into one, it's just pretty. It's just so pretty to watch. And Longoria doesn't have the run, but he's got everything else, man. Holy cow, he's got <laughs> everything else. He makes the power look so easy. The defense looks so easy. And then James Shields, I heard Al- Elliot Johnson on a local radio station today, a Durham Bulls player and a longtime Rays farmhand, uh, call him Big Game James. And that's you know, the Rays. You would imagine uh, with Boston that Josh Beckett or Dice K, the guys with all the money, would have been their number one starter. But clearly, like you said, John Lester is clearly their ace right now. Beckett said it uh, at the end of the last series with the Angels. And as good as Scott Casimir is, uh, he's not their ace. It is James Shields. Uh, the other thing that strikes me as a commonality between these two teams, actually, uh, Matt, is their defensive efficiency. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a huge step forward for the Rays this year to previous seasons. Uh, you hear some talk about Jason Bartlett almost like being their MVP in some ways. Uh, what, what do you, what's your take on that, number one? And who, which team do you think is the better defensive team out of these two, if you had to pick one? 
Well, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick Tampa Bay because they're younger and they did it on turf. Yeah, I would. Good I would point. assume that that would uh, give them the advantage. You know, uh, Bartlett's MVP candidacy on, on his team. You you'd probably ask the pitching staff. This is not a strikeout-oriented pitching staff, Good especially point. outside of uh, Balfour in the bullpen. You yeah. know, Bradford relies on those ground balls being converted into outs. You know, that's a huge point I had, that I had not thought of. Garza's strikeout rate is significantly lower than it was in the minor leagues. That's correct. And Jackson and Sonnenstein are basically guys who uh, Sonnenstein's a ground ball guy, and, and Jackson. Even though he's got power stuff, is not a strikeout pitcher. I, don't, I know he's not pitching, but just over the course of the season, right. I think you make a great point. Uh, you know, Shields is with the changeup, but they've got to, they they have to have uh, batted balls turned into outs with efficiency to win to, to make the, the the leap they did this year. And especially out of the bullpen, like you said, they really didn't have outside of Balfour a guy who goes out there and just blows you away. I mean, J.P. Howell, uh, a guy who. Uh, is really a guy who has to gets the, gets the ground balls, change up, eighty-eight mile an hour fastball. I mean, and max effort breaking ball where he yeah. falls off the mound. And he's been and he's been outstanding this year, which is just uh, it's stunning that he's taken so well to that middle relief role. And there's really not a weak link on this team defensively that I can think of. You know, the only question would be Carl Crawford coming back from the injury, but I'm sure that didn't affect his legs as long as he was on a running program. Right. I do think Boston's defense, while it's good, it's very good. I think if Mike Lowell were healthy, hmm. you could. I think you'd almost have to call it a push. But I do think as good – Kevin Euclid certainly can play third base, and he plays it well. He's not as good as Mike Lowell. And uh, while Mark Kotze showed in the game four the other day against the Angels how good he can be at first base, <laughs> he's inexperienced over there. So I think Boston's not quite at full strength when you look at it defensively if they had Euclid at first. And Lowell at third. We'll see if that affects them. But you, 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 you mentioned it. You're throwing in the additional factor of the turf, uh, where Euclid's only played 30 plus games at third base this year. I wonder how many of those were on this field turf surface, uh, which is only really employed in Toronto, Minnesota, Tampa that I can think of. So that, that's an extra factor, I think. And I think you're right. And just in general, the Rays have a little bit better team speed. And that should play on the turf for their four of the seven games are scheduled. Though when the Red Sox do have Chris and Ellsbury out there, that's probably the best uh, one-two outfield combo. It is. I mean, they're they're better defenders than Crawford and Upton. Crawford and Upton yeah. are faster, but that's a better combo uh, defensively with Crispin Ellsbury with their versatility and uh, you know, just their more experience. But that's the other thing that Crawford coming back uh, spares the Rays fans from is Eric Hinsky in left field. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have uh, Eric Hinsky is like the one. He's the one guy with a World Series ring, I think, on this team. <laughs> Uh, since Percival's not on the uh, not on the postseason roster, uh, let's talk about the starting pitching of these two clubs. Starting pitching was certainly uh, a strength, if not the strength, for the Rays this year. Uh, all five of their starters won between eleven and fourteen games. Uh, Edwin Jackson doesn't make the playoff roster. He's the only one who was uh, basically average or below uh, this year, or below average, I should say. Uh, but their top three: Shields, Garza, Casimir, versus the Red Sox top three: Beckett, uh, Matsuzaka, Lester. Who gets the edge there with Beckett the way he is right now? Well, Casimir the way he is, too. That, that's that's the flip side of it. I, I, I think Boston has to be given a slight edge there. Uh, just the the postseason experience that they have with Beckett, if he's at his best, which obviously clearly he's not, but even when you're not at your best, I think that's where you almost draw on experience more. And John Lester, what are the 22 scoreless innings in the postseason right now consecutively? <laughs> And Daisuke Matsuzaka, who has plenty of big game experience prior to the Red Sox, but has been through this grind uh, now last year. I guess I'm wondering about the freshness of the Rays pitchers. All three Red Sox pitchers, but especially Daisuke and Beckett, have been through long major league season and postseason grind before. 
the Rays haven't. To me, that gives Boston an edge. What do you what do you think of that? I think that's fair. Um, I, and one of the more interesting matchups is going to be Dice K against this lineup. Yeah, he will not give in to batters. Will Will the Rays wait him out? You know, will, the they, Rays, will they be capable of doing that? I think that'll tell us a lot about how ready they are to win this series. And you know, uh, it seemed like it was like the immovable object and the irresistible force when he played the Angels when he pitched against the Angels, but he couldn't hold a with the bullpen's help. Dice K couldn't hold a five two lead in that in that series. And, you know, again, was not pitch efficient. He's a five-inning guy, which is why I'm a little bit surprised he's the, he's the game one starter. Um, to me, the whole key for Boston is Beckett. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, that's oversimplifying things a little bit. But like you said, you got Beckett and you got Casimir, these two Texas fireballers, two Texas prep products. Uh, there's a nice parallel there. And before this year, Scott Casimir – it seemed like he was always at his best against the Boston Red Sox. Right. He it was a kind of a Red Sox killer uh, throughout his career. This year, not so much. Um, you know, I guess if you had to pick one to pitch well in the postseason, in this series, Beckett or Casimir, <laughs> I think I almost like Casimir's stuff was better against Chicago, I thought, than Beckett's stuff was uh, against the Angels. I thought that Casimir was closer to – what he really is than Josh Beckett was. Uh, I don't know if that gives an advantage to Tampa or not. I think I think that's fair. Um, you know, but then you don't really want to bet against Beckett's extensive, extensive uh, playoff record. It's, his playoff resume is unmatched <laughs> right now among active big league starters. So. I mean, that's John Smoltz or Andy Pettit like if if he had been given that number of starts, which he, which he probably will. If he's he's with his, Boston for one more year. I was about to say, yeah, he's on his way there <laughs> uh, for sure. Uh, to me, the biggest advantage Tampa has going into this really is their bullpen. And uh, you mentioned one of the key factors, Grant Balfour. We've talked about J.P. Howell. Uh, Dan Wheeler almost like is the symbolic, the guy who kind of started the tide turning. Mm-hmm. They traded two, one of our personal cheese balls, Ty Wigginson, <laughs> to acquire uh, Dan from? Wheeler from UNC Asheville, baby. He's, a, I believe, the second player uh, ever out of the Coastal Plain League to make it to the major <laughs> leagues, which is some, for some reason a little factoid drilled into my brain. <laughs> But um, to me, the, the real X factor here, we talked about the left-right matchups in the NL series. And, Matt, you pointed this out to me. The Rays are carrying three lefty relievers, Trevor Miller, uh, J.P. Howell, joined by David Price. Can you imagine the scene <laughs> if David Price is called upon in a key situation to get one of Boston's big lefty bats out, J.D. Drew, or Big Poppy Dave Ortiz? <laughs> How fun will that be to watch? It'll be awesome. It'll be Kershaw-esque. And, and, That's right. And it looks like... <laughs> The way that the Red Sox are constructed, they're not going to have a right-handed bat to bring in. So, I mean, you can, if, if you're the Rays, you can bring in a lefty reliever with impunity. Right, because Boston's carrying both Casey and Kotze as their like, extra. And Alex Cora is a lefty basically. batter. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, uh, they're only, they're, their righty bat, is, uh, as the roster is presently constructed, is, is Gil Velasquez. Or the backup catcher. Um, and that's the thing. Again, that's where they, they lose. They, they miss out not having Mike Lowell. Right. At the very least, you have Coco four. Chris possibly off the bench uh, if he's not in the lineup. Um, and he's better from the right side. So uh, Boston really, I think, I think it's a deft move by Joe Madden and company with Tampa to carry that extra lefty. I do have a feeling that if push comes to shove, it will not be David Price with the game on the line against Big Poppy in that situation. But you got to have somebody for that situation. Uh, the Yankees have not had that shutdown lefty out of the bullpen, and it has been to their detriment <laughs> in the postseason. Uh, Trevor Miller's the, the guy here because Howell's a one inning at a time. To, yeah, yeah or, two, or two innings. Or two innings. So his ratio to games to innings is uh, pretty high. And then, and then you have Boston's bullpen, uh, which is the other to me, which is really their weakness, and that's not new. That has been Boston's weakness in previous postseasons. Uh, we're talking about 2003 or 2005 to a lesser extent. Um, you know, they got their bullpen 
I, it was even kind of a weakness in 04 uh, in some ways before uh, uh, Keith Folk. In front of Keith Folk, they were still a little shaky. Um, but right now, Boston's really going with Papelbon, Masterson, and maybe Del Carmen. But they clearly trust Masterson mm-hmm. more than they trust any of the other middle relievers. This is a guy with 88 career minor league innings. And uh, while he's a sinker baller and a big guy who has a low slot and some sink, he's given up 10 home, 10 home runs and 88 big league innings. Do you think Boston's bullpen, it's clearly not as good as Tampa. Do you think it's good enough for them to win this series, or do you think that's I think that keeps them from repeating as World Series champions? Uh, I think it's good enough to, uh, to compete against this particular team. That's a good that's Maybe a uh, maybe another nail giant or might maybe, be able to combat them, but I think they're fine. I actually think the, the, the Rays probably have the weakest offense of yeah. the four remaining teams. I, mean, right. I think I would take Philly and even L.A.'s offense with, with Manny in there. And especially for a call, he's kind of an X factor. You don't really know of what we're going to get out of Rafael for a call. But, yeah, go ahead. Maybe against the, the Rangers in Arlington. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't feel confident with this group of pitchers. Yeah, I wouldn't feel confident but. with any group of pitchers in there. right? And Maybe right now, <laughs> but uh, they've been a little, probably a little bit rusty in, in, down, in, down in Texas. But, you know, in like, in like the whole Dice K thing against this lineup, are they, are they going to show more patience than the Angels did? Are they going to wait out? Are they, are they going to punish the Red Sox pitchers for making mistakes? You know, the Angels didn't do that. Now that is really the question. And you know, Mando Carmen throws a lot of strikes in the regular season. Will he throw enough strikes in the bull, in the postseason? You know, which Hideki Okajima is going to show up? But at mm-hmm. times, he's been the same guy he was last year. But for the most part, he hasn't been. So uh, I, we mentioned Mando Del Carmen. Kind of, I think maybe it's a good place to finish is to talk about how each of these teams. Matt, we'll explore this a little bit more at BaseballAmerica.com. But each of these teams really do have a player or two. Uh, if not more, who kind of wandered through the prospect wilderness for a while before finally breaking through. And, and Manny Del Carmen is a great example of that for Boston. I mean, this is a 26-year-old who really only in the last two years has finally established himself uh, as a full-time big leaguer. And, wow, I mean, this is a uh, Boston native mm-hmm. uh, who's not just established himself as a big leaguer but as a good big leaguer uh, the last two years. Um you know, who are some of the other guys on some of the other clubs? Del Carmen's kind of the guy who stands out for Boston. He does. Who are some of the guys on the other clubs who kind of fit that description a little bit? For Tampa Bay, we're kind of looking at uh, Gabe Gross. They're most of the time right fielder who right. admittedly doesn't hit uh, lefties very well. But um, he was Gord Ash's last first-round pick with the Blue Jays back in 01. Yeah, 01, yep. Uh, like 14th overall from Auburn. He's a guy who's cemented himself – pretty well with Tampa Bay this year after giving after getting one year to prove himself in Milwaukee and not they didn't go back to him last year but right yeah they really and, and that's the thing in Milwaukee he really I mean he was kind of a sort of a platoon player sort of not I mean here he had he, when you're a first round pick and an outfielder just like corner guy you're picked because of your power this is you know the first year he's hit double digit home runs uh you know, he still only slugged uh, 414, but he had some key hits. This is really one of his uh, the years where he finally got some consistent playing time and, and finally made something of it uh, coming over. And Ben Zobers kind of fits that same category as well as a guy who, um, I don't know about wandering in the prospect wilderness, but kind of always a little, uh, I don't even say underrated, just never thought of as a guy who's going to be an impact guy, mm-hmm. maybe an extra guy. A guy hit 12 home runs this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rays had a lot of injuries this year, and yet – uh, despite those, they they really got you know they got a big year uh, as JJ Cooper would say a dead cat bounce you had Eric Hinsky, who had really not been good for several years but for for this year kind of showed some bounce back. Yep. You got you got Fernando Perez as a factor in this in this series uh, with his speed and he's almost like their platoon almost like right handed platoon for Gross and he was not a good right handed hitter. 
in AAA this year, was he, or was it? Oh, he was. Oh, the right side. He's he's a natural right-handed batter. He strikes out so much from the left side; it's almost like give up that experiment. And then um, they also have Baldelli. To factor, oh, yeah. to factor into right field Absolutely, on a, on a platoon, in a platoon situation. Rocco, uh, you know, I mean, being such a young team, they have a lot of these candidates. You mentioned Zobris, but there's also Willie Ibar, who came back from being MIA last year yeah, to right. being to being a legitimate fill-in for Longoria for a month. He, he did a fantastic job while Longoria was hurt, and a guy who obviously was a originally signed by the Dodgers, too. So yeah. uh, two straight For Mucho De Niro. <laughs> I think it was a $1.4 million. Something like that. But we'll see if, uh, if, if Willie Ibar has more success against the Red Sox than Eric Ibar had. Uh, things are not going uh, so well for Eric. I think they're stepbrothers, right? Uh, is it stepbrothers? Kind of like the Asturis brothers? The Asturis brothers are like half-brothers because they're only seven months apart in birthdays. <laughs> so uh, that's a little bit scary. Well, we already talked about J.P. Howell, who formerly was a top prospect for the Royals, who they uh, <clears throat> traded for Joey Gathright. Yeah, so, so. It's, so the, the, the Rays get to the big league, get to the postseason without their uh, – I forget what year that draft was. I think it was 01 where Benny Latino uh, was a scout for the Rays at that time. And in the 32nd and 34th rounds, he got them Chad Godin and Joey Gathright. That's pretty good value. Nice. That ends up being a pretty good draft. And uh, wrapping up in the National League, the Dodgers have one of the ultimate <laughs> wilderness guys here in Hong Chi Kuo, yep. who, again, mucho dinero. Uh, this guy got, I think, $1.6 million out of Taiwan, maybe more than that, as a free agent in nineteen. It's almost a million per Tommy John surgery, isn't it? <laughs> Oh. He, he's he's had at least one, if not two, and man, it just took him forever. Another member of that '05 Jacksonville team who was just starting to come back there. He's a fastball split lefty. There's just nothing typical about Hong Chi Kuo. Uh, he's, I mean, he's made, you know, he's got 80 innings this year. Uh, he's always had a high strikeout rate, yeah. but this has not been a guy who's ever been able to stay healthy. I mean, this 80 innings is by far uh, the career high for him. And he just absolutely manhandles left-handers. He's and he was absolutely manhandled last year. I mean, he, he had man hands last year. <laughs> uh, seven yards. So he just never, he, Hong Chi Kuo, I think it just, he's, he's the proverbial box of chocolates. Uh, so, but I, I do like the Dodgers, including him, on this roster. And again, to a lesser extent, Blake DeWick didn't wander through the valley or anything, but he was certainly not given up for dead, but he was given up as a guy to be a, an impact guy. I don't know how much more of an impact you make than being a regular on a championship caliber yeah. team, and that's what he's done this year. He's been a solid average regular. He's very impressive. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he and, gives and, you good at-bats. And kudos to Alan Matthews for sticking with him. He was uh, Dave Podesta's first first-round pick, I believe, in 04. 04, yeah. Well, him and Scott Elbert. And Scott Elbert. Um, they went to, they booked into the state of Missouri. Uh, with their first-round picks, uh, much to Jim Callis' delight. Nobody loves Missouri prospects like Jim <laughs> Callis. And I never forget uh, watching Blake DeWitt at a uh, fall showcase in Jupiter, a perfect game World War Bat showcase, uh, sitting there with Bobby Miranda, who was then the assistant coach at Georgia Tech, videotaping DeWitt and telling me how good his swing was. And I was like, I don't see it. <laughs> and Bobby saying, well, here's what you're not seeing. There's this, there's this, the balance, how quiet he was, efficient swing. Uh, Bobby was right on that. Let's also give him credit for learning essentially a new position this year because he came up as a third baseman, went back to Las Vegas, Triple A, and played second base, which he was drafted as and played up, I think, up through 06. Yeah, I think you're right. And then this year, uh, gets the third base job out of spring training, which was a surprise. Um, But then is asked to go back to second base uh, when injury calls. And I mean, the guy just has grinded it out and he's been solid at both positions. I mean, that's that's all you can ask for from a rookie. He's been a pro. Uh, and that's a, a, a good worth uh, bringing a note. Nobody wandered through the, through the wilderness like Chris Coast on the Phillies. We <laughs> almost forgot to mention this guy who wrote a book about playing an indie ball. He's a J.J. Cooper hero. 
uh, when they first played at Fenway Park, taking off his his uh, cleats and his running barefoot through the grass at uh, at Fenway Park, just to the sheer joy of the game that Chris Coast brings uh, is awesome. But Greg Dobbs, a guy who was a fifth year senior sign, uh, uh, you know, a guy who that Pat Gillick brought uh, signed in, in Seattle and has brought with him to Philadelphia and just become a a pinch hitter supreme, and I don't know if he's a personal cheese ball or not, Matt, but I know we both like Jason Worth. Oh, definitely Jason Worth. You know, he shed that label of platoon batter this year with authority. I mean, this, this, this guy does hit right-handers. Maybe he strikes out a little more against them, but he can he can put good swings on them. Uh, the guy is an excellent defensive outfielder. Would play center field for some teams. Yep. Awesome arm. Awesome runner. And Just, he's a great example of why athleticism matters at baseball. Uh, he is a premium athlete, drafted as a catcher, yep. but... His athleticism allows him to improve. It allows him to make adjustments. It allows him th- that versatility and allowed him as a player where he was ha- he had weaknesses, clearly he still does, but his athleticism, you couldn't give up on that, and that allowed him to – it basically bought him time to get better, good enough as a hitter to find his niche as an everyday regular. And uh, The Dodgers, certainly a lot of those guys are familiar with him because he was a uh, Dodger a couple of years back on their last playoff team. So fun podcast. I'm picking Boston in the American League. We didn't make our prediction. I just think Boston's experience and a little bit better starting pitching is a separator for me. Yeah, uh, those, uh, those guys know what it's like to go through a seven-month season, not a six-month one. That's right. but And yet, I believe you're picking Tampa. Yeah, I'm taking the Rays. Rays versus Dodgers. So Rays versus Dodgers Don't. will be a fascinating series. I think any of them – I mean, the Rays are a hard story. You'd have to mess up the market to not market that one. Uh, they are a Cinderella story. Uh, that said – that ballpark is so hideous. I really don't want to see that ballpark <laughs> on TV for the World Series. Uh, you got that one versus Fenway. That's a no-brainer. Um, I know a lot of people are tired of the Red Sox. I assume you would have quicker games if the Rays were involved. That also would be, I think, to their advantage, uh, to, the, to the TV's advantage. I think that Fox is clearly going to be rooting for the Dodgers. It's Los Angeles. But yeah. I think the Phillies are a compelling story. Uh, and uh, whether it's Charlie, uh, Charlie Manuel or Ryan Howard or Chase Utley, to me they're – they're compelling. I don't know if they would suck in the whole country, um, but a, Bo- a Boston-Philadelphia series would certainly have some cachet. By but, I think Boston-LA is what the Fox people want. Would you Would you pitch Brett Myers in Boston? Oh, I don't know. Can you legally, or do you get arrested? <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> yeah, they have long memories there. That'd be a little bit uh, like Canseco with the steroids chant in '88. I don't know what they would chant at Brett Myers, but yeah, that was a. I'd forgotten about that ugliness uh, in Brett Myers' past. Um, I think he would. Uh, he can't. Also, I think in Boston he could not make the joke about uh, how they were going to trade uh, Kendrick to Japan for uh, for the guy who was the hot dog eating champion. Boston has two Japanese players that might get offended. So <laughs> we don't want to go there either. But uh, if it were a Boston Philadelphia series, uh, uh, as I'm predicting, uh, I think that would be I would be a hell of a series. Uh, and, and the Phillies are the kind who actually have the depth, or they'd have a DH, and it would be to their advantage. In the American League uh, uh, park, and Boston clearly would be at a disadvantage um, without the DH. I mean, who are they going to sit? I guess with Lowell hurt, they could sit uh, saying just play Big Poppy at first base as they've done in the past. But uh, Boston seems to be at a little bit of a disadvantage when they're in that situation where I think I don't know who the Dodgers would DH. Maybe Jeff Kent, uh, but he's not as good as I think the options. Or Pablo Ozuna. <laughs> I think Greg Dobbs is the perfect DH. Right, right. Uh, he pinch hits four times in a game. But, yep. uh, he hears stairs, no doubt. Uh, you know, Matt Stairs clearly has exa- uh, experience. Maybe, maybe you save Dobbs so he can come in on defense, you know, but either way, they're well, both pa- good hitters. Well, if past uh, performance is any, uh, is any judge from these podcasts, 
you, you look for a Boston-Philadelphia uh, series because I think I was more right than you were in the division series. But we'll see. We'll come back next week before or before the next series and see who was uh, more correct as the Baseball America postseason podcasts roll on. For Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. And, again, check out that uh, little personal cheese balls thing we're going to blog at the Baseball America Prospect blog. But uh, for Matt, I'm John. Thanks so much for the download. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.